It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. It's a final drive Friday here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. Hope everybody's had a fantastic work week and want to wish Happy Father's Day early to all the fathers out there who listen, who are listening. And hope you guys have a, a wonderful week in a uh, full of family and and fun as well and want to welcome in at the beginning of our show today the final drive nba hall of fame journalist david aldrich joins us this afternoon mr aldrich thank you for your time this afternoon and welcome to the final drive well thank you for having me i appreciate it very much you know, as I was growing up and continued to watch the NBA and the coverage that you've provided, not only on ESPN, but TNT, and, you know, I, I, I love the NBA. I'm an NBA junkie, and I know one of your, probably when you were growing up, following whether it was the Washington Bullets or the Washington Wizards, having an opportunity to cover the game of basketball for a living. Talk to us what that means to you. Well, you know, I've been very lucky. I, I don't think I've, I have no doubt in my mind that I've been incredibly fortunate um, that I got an opportunity at a, at a young age to, to start covering the NBA. I mean, most people don't get that, that opportunity, um, you know, in their, in their mid-20s to, to cover an NBA team and cover the league. Uh, for a paper like the Washington Post, I got very, very fortunate that uh, the opportunity was there. Uh, it was a time where newspapers were still, you know, the, the main means by which people found out about whatever sports teams they liked. Um, and you wanted to work for a newspaper, and I was able to do that and work for, you know, a, a paper with some following. and a paper that had the budget that could send me wherever around the country, around the world to go cover NBA players and teams. And it was, you know, I was very lucky. And it was a time when, you know, young guys like me were getting opportunities to cover the league. Um, and so it was, that was what got me started. And, and I've never forgotten that. And it's been wonderful. I mean, I've seen the world because of basketball. And for somebody that could not play a lick, <laughs> I'm very, I'm very blessed that I got that I've gotten this opportunity to kind of, you know, really have an have the chance to to cover the league at a at a very great part of the league's history. You know, the the kind of end of the Magic Bird era, but really the start of the Michael Jordan era, and that's uh, kind of the start of the more modern NBA era. 
Well, it's funny, you know, when the NBA season concludes and you have the NBA finals, of course, the draft being next Thursday, and we still have a plethora of topics that are piling up on one another. Of course, today, Michael Jordan decides to sell his majority share in the Hornets for $3 billion, and he had a 13-year run as majority owner, and he still is keeping a minority stake. But when you look at... The, the GOAT, who I consider the GOAT in, in Michael Jordan, I know that being a businessman is a lot different because he could control the other four teammates and what was going on when he was on the floor. But being an owner, whether it's of this franchise or in other activities that he's involved in, it's a little bit different for who I consider to be the GOAT. Oh, it's, it's very different. And that's part of the, I think, the frustration that, that Michael had is that you can't do anything to control the outcome. You know, like you can, you can plan and prepare and you can spend money and draft people, but they have to decide. I mean, your coaches and your players decide how the games are played and whether or not you win. Um, and you have to sit there in your chair <laughs> and that drives Michael crazy. I think um, so. So I think it's, it's that and a bunch of other things, but yeah, I think he just felt like it, it was, it's a good time to, to kind of take a step back. Um, he's on that team for quite a long time. Um, and, you know, he's 60 years old now, so he may have something else that he wants to spend the majority of his time doing that doesn't involve kind of the day-to-day grind of owning an NBA team. So, um, you know, he, he did not have the success in Charlotte. I think it's fair to say that, that he thought he would have. Um, some of that may have been his doing, but some of it wasn't. Uh, it's just it's a tough market to get people to come to, to want to come to in free agency. Uh, so that was part of it. Um, and I think, you know, honestly, as, you know, as, as Michael's career gets further and further into history, there's probably fewer and fewer people that, that revere his legacy and think of him in the way that they think of a Kobe or LeBron. You know, if you talk to NBA players under 25 now, their heroes were Kobe and LeBron because that's who they grew up watching, you know? So, so it's a different mindset. It's a different mature, you know, it's a different level of, of type of um, reverence for players. And so Michael may not have been as successful as a closer in terms of, you know, getting people that want to come play in Charlotte, that he may have been 20 years ago or 15 years ago. We're speaking with David Aldridge, our guest on the final drive this afternoon, Hall of Fame NBA journalist now with The Athletic in D.C. David, obviously, you know, the Nuggets just win the title. We've been talking a lot about Jokic. Should he or should he not have won a third straight MVP? I'm sure the finals MVP eases that pain for him just fine. How do you stack him up now among, historically, the greatest big men of all time just because he's so unique as compared to the rest of them? Well, I just, it's funny you ask that because I just wrote this yesterday in The Athletic that I think he is a, uh, there's a very apt comparison between him and Tim Duncan. And, and it's not, it's not apples to apples in terms of they're on the court, what they do on the court, what they excel at, but it is the fact that they are very kind of selfless superstars like they don't want the attention they literally recoil at any individual attention or accolades or things like that they really don't want it they don't give you very much in terms of interviews 
Um, you know, they, they like to keep the activity and the interest on what they do on the floor. Um, and they're both, you know, team guys. They are team-oriented superstars who kind of lean into the team doing well as opposed to people calling attention to them and what they do well, what they are excellent at. Um, and so I certainly think Jokic is on that path. I'm not saying he's going to win five titles like Duncan did. But my experience over 30 years of covering the NBA is that great players who get a taste of winning at the highest level, they tend to get greedy about it. You know, they, yeah. One's not enough. Um, and if they have any breaks with injuries and things like that, they tend to wrap, you know, rip off two or three in a very short period of time. So if, if Jokic and Murray and the rest of that team can stay healthy, I, I'm not going to be surprised if they're back in another finals again very soon. Um, the West is, you know, transitioning, I think it's fair to say. Um, Golden State, I'm not saying they're out, I'm not saying they're done, but certainly their, their dynasty is nearing its end, I think it's fair to say. Uh, LeBron is still viable but LeBron's 38 you know he can't he's not going to be doing this in six years you know um the Clippers have a very good team but they have not been able to stay healthy so it's not like there's an obvious team even Phoenix you know they put all their chips in to get KD uh, KD's 34 years old he's not a kid and um they don't have a lot of depth so you know Denver's kind of sitting there going you know we're pretty good right now and <laughs> And the teams that maybe can come up and challenge us, you know, Sacramento's on the come, Memphis is on the come, but they're not there yet, you know. And so I think Denver's looking at it. Why can't we do this again, you know, next year? Why can't we do this again, you know, for three, two or three times in, in, in these next few years while our guys are in their prime, when our guys are in the, the meat of their careers? David, have you seen a more subdued championship celebration? Denver wins on their own floor. It's their first world championship in <laughs> franchise history. And the Joker, yeah. he looked like he had more fun at the parade on yesterday, and so did the rest of the team versus what you saw on the floor clinching on their home floor. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, it was a little subdued. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um for a team that had won it, you know, it's the franchise's first championship. Um, it was a little subdued. Um, I don't know if that's because, you know, Jokic is just that kind of guy. He's just not a big demonstrative guy. Um, I think, you know, Jamal Murray was very emotional. He was crying, you know, at the end. Um, but, yeah, I, I do agree with you. It was, I thought there would be more kind of a raucous craziness um, but there was, there was at the parade. I mean, guys, you know, there was <laughs> guys with their shirts off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. It was not as kind of full-throated you know, craziness as I thought, as I thought there may be. Without question, we're speaking with David Aldridge. He is an NBA Hall of Fame journalist, 
formerly on ESPN and TNT and really enjoyed watching your coverage growing up myself. And it's a it's a pleasure to be talking with you this afternoon here on the final drive. But when you look at the NBA as a whole, of course, there again, we talked about the topics that stack up on top of themselves. John ja Morant, yeah. he, he's he's that future franchise guy. He's a guy that has 10 or 15 more years in him. And of course, he gets in trouble missing the first 25 games because of conduct detrimental to the league. Uh, I, I think he'll learn. I thought he would have learned from the first time. And of course, now it being the second time, I know the third time and he's in all type of, of trouble. He's looking at it longer than that. But were you so surprised at all with the length of the suspension only being 25 games? No, I, I, that sounded about right. Just kind of talking to people around the league. Um, you know, I think that you, you have to kind of weigh a, a few things. I mean, if you go, if you look at, you know, the longest suspension, it was, you know, Ron Artest got 73 games for the, you know, the malice in the palace. Um, that was certainly a very, very different type of incident. Um, and I, you know, there were people talking about, you know, half of the season. I just never thought the NBA was going to go that far um, because of multiple factors. But, you know, the main thing is I think you, you, you want to punish the player, but you can't hamstring the team, if you know what I'm saying. Like, sure. you have to make it clear that the player did something that you don't like. But if you suspend him half the, team, half the season, you're basically – you know, making it impossible for the team to be competitive next year at the level that they should be competitive at. Um, so I think a happy medium was somewhere. I thought it might be 20. The 25 sort of make is in there, right? It's in that ballpark. So that made sense, I think. Um, yeah, I thought that was about what I thought they would do because the NBA is big on recidivism. Um, if you do something more than once, they tend to come down on you heavier. If you just go back and look at what they did with Dennis Rodman over the years, and as he continued to act out, they added, suspended him for more and more and more games. So, you know, they started with eight with, with Ja, and now it's up to 25. And obviously if this happens again, you're talking about a much longer and much more, you know, serious suspension in terms of missing most of, if not all of the season. So you would like to think this won't happen again with him. David Aldridge, our guest on the final drive this afternoon. David, do you, uh, with, there's been a lot made about since the Nuggets swept the Lakers. Obviously, LeBron was, I, I guess, non committal is, is the right word on, on next season. Do you buy any of that? Do you, like, what, how, how, on a scale of one to 10, I guess, how shocked would you be if he did decide to hang it up this offseason? I, I still think, I mean, I think I, I, you always have to take anything that someone says right after their season ends, you know, when they're, you know, emotional and, and they're tired and all of that sort of thing um, with, with a grain of salt. Um, I, I think I still believe LeBron in his heart of hearts wants to play with his son. I think that's a real thing. Um I think Browning will play one year at USC and turn pro. <laughs> um, and I think LeBron would like to play another two years so that he can play with his son. Now, will that be in L.A. with the Lakers or with somebody else? I don't know. Um, my guess is it'll be with the Lakers, but I can't say that with 100% certainty. Um, but I do think that that is still what he wants to do. 
more than anything else. Um, and it's not like LeBron's game has dropped off dramatically. Uh, as long as the Lakers do what they have said they were going to do, which is re-sign Reeves, re-sign Hachimura, pretty much roll back the team that they created after the trade de- at the trade deadline, I should say. Um, I think he'll be okay coming back because that's a pretty good team. It's not a bad team at all. You know, it's a team that has a chance um, to, to do some damage in the Western Conference. Um, but if for some reason they lose one or two of those guys, maybe he takes another look at it. But my guess is, and it's just a guess, is that LeBron's probably going to play and, until he has a chance to play with Bronny. Well, what's interesting as a fan here for myself and my producer, Michael Bronner, and for you having a chance to see Magic and Bird play along with Jordan and then Jordan passes that along to LeBron and you have that that debate on Kobe and, and Kobe passes away and, and, and you instantaneously say, okay, we, we just really wanted to hear more of Kobe and just his insights that he brought to the game, not only playing it, but when Benyama, this young man yeah. that, that's going to be drafted here, uh, again, a generational player, the expectations that the Spurs are going to take him, do you think he can help pop out this in his last three years, win another world championship? Benyama? Yes, sir. Um, um, it's going to take a while. <laughs> I mean, it's, look, he's incredibly talented. He's got incredible upside. I think, I think San Antonio is going to take it very slowly with him. Um, if you look at the history of, of the NBA, there is a real line of demarcation for guys that are his size, you know, 7'3 and taller, um, getting hurt and, and not being able to kind of stay on the floor. So I think the Spurs are going to take it very slowly and be very careful with him the first year or two that he's in the NBA in terms of how many games he plays and how he builds up his body to handle the the rigors of NBA play. Um, So it's going to take a while, and the roster's not good enough. They're not close to good enough right now. I think this is a, you know, four, five, six kind of outer limit plan to continue to add talent around him to develop the guys that they do have. They got a couple of really good pieces, uh, you know, that I think in time have a chance to be pretty good, but it's going to take some time. You know, they need a point guard, I think, to kind of pull it all together, and he's probably not on the roster right now, you know. But they've got Sohan and they've got Devin Vassell. They've got some good young players, but it's going to take a while. Um, And I think they're in it for the long haul, whether that – for Pop, or if it's the next coach, whoever coaches that team, um, I think that's how they're going to take it. And so it's not going to happen right away. But it could happen because he's that good. I mean, he, he's got a chance, a real chance to be a all-time player with the skill set he has because his skill set just different from any skill set that I've ever seen for somebody his size. Well, after Wemba Miyama, you know, we as of course we know he's going number one. The debate becomes who goes number two at that point. Of course, down here in Mobile, we're partial towards Brandon Miller. Where do you lean in the uh, Miller versus Scoot Henderson debate? I think it all depends on who you are, who's picking second. I mean, you know, the Hornets, obviously, they've got LaMelo Ball, right? Now, you have to decide as an organization, are we going to go further 
with LaMelo Ball as our point guard or Scoot Henderson as our point guard. And that's a decision you have to make. And there's no right answer. I mean, the answer is whatever you think. Um, but let's say for the sake of argument that they go, hey, LaMelo Ball is more than good enough. Like, he's a terrific player. When he's healthy, he's really good. He's a top 12, top 10 level point guard. Then I don't think it I, – I, to me, it's no brainer. you got to take Brandon Miller. He's too talented. He can do too many things um, as a complimentary player to LaMelo. And remember, they'll be getting Miles Bridges back after 10 games. Um, so they, they've got P.J. Washington. they got pieces down there now. You know, like, they've got some talent down there. Um, it just needs to come together and get older. Um, but if you're not sold as an organization on LaMelo, then I could definitely see them taking Scoot because Scoot Henderson's really good. He's a face-of-the-franchise type player. Um, so I, if it was me, I'd probably take Brandon Miller just because of his skill set. It's just too good. I mean, it's just too, he can do too many things. And I'm very partial to guys that just like in football, that play against pros, you know, in the SEC, they play against pros every week (laughs) when they play in conference, that's a pro. It's a pro in Florida. It's a pro in Alabama. It's a pro at Auburn. You're playing against guys that are going to play on Sunday. Same in the, you know, same in the NBA with with SEC play. You're playing against pros a lot. You know, you're playing against guys that are going to be making a lot of money. So if you excel in that conference, chances are you're going to be a very good player in the NBA. David Aldridge wrapping up with him. He's an NBA Hall of Fame journalist writing for The Athletic. And the last couple of questions I have for you, I know that whether it's the Washington Bullets or Washington Wizards, you know, with Bradley Beal and the speculation that Miami is coming in as an eight seed, makes it to the NBA Finals, can you see Bradley Beal in a Miami Heat uniform next year? Certainly possible. I mean, it's going to, you know, there's a lot of factors in play. Uh, Brad controls his future because of his no trade clause. He can go where he wants to go, you know. So if he wants to go to Miami, um, that's his number one destination. Uh, He can certainly ask the Wizards to do that. Um, I think there will be other teams interested. In fact, I know there are other teams that are very interested in Brad. Um, he's going to want to go to a contending team. I'm almost certain he's not going to be interested in a rebuild. Um, so, you know, but there are teams out there, Milwaukee for one, Phoenix for one. I mean, those are good teams. It's not like he'd be going to a bad team if he were traded to one of those teams. Um, but certainly Miami's in the mix. Uh, the Wizards have to want to make that deal too, though, um, because at the end of the day, worst comes to worst, they can just run it back. I mean, Brad's got four years left in his contract here in Washington. So it's not like, you know, he can sit out for two years and wait. I mean, if they don't want to make the trade, they can just play him here next year. And, and he has incentive to play well in Washington for several reasons. One, obviously you want to keep your trade value up, but two, I think it's important to Brad that he be, you know, there's a very big record that's available to him this year. He's about 160 or so points behind Elvin Hayes for the franchise's all-time leading scorer record. I think that matters to Brad. I really do think that's important to him, Um, you know, because he's got a lot of loyalty to this franchise. So 
Well, everybody wants to trade them today, and they very well could come up with a trade in the next few days or weeks. There's also the chance he could come back to Washington and play next season and play, you know, break the record and, and have that on his resume and in his heart and then maybe seek a trade next summer. You know, there's, there's moving parts here. But I, I do think while he certainly is the lead in terms of where he goes, the Wizards do have some say in this because he does have four years left on his contract. Yeah. So, you know, he's not in a position where he can just kind of not play for a year. Like, he, that's not – he's going to have to play um, if they don't get the deal that they want to. David Alvarez, the last question I have for you. You've seen a lot of great basketball, a lot of great basketball players. If you had, a, and I know everything is generationally challenged to where you mentioned whether you grew up with Kobe or, or Mike or, or, or LeBron, the best basketball player that you've seen play with your own eyes and that you've covered, who would you say yep. that would be? Um, I'm kind of a broken record on this guy. <laughs> Um, I didn't see Bill Russell play live. You know, I can only go by what people who did see him play live say. I didn't see Wilt play live. I can only go by what people who did see him live say. The best player I ever saw play live was Michael Jordan, and it's not particularly close. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, all due respect to Kobe and LeBron and LeBron, you know, Kareem. I saw Kareem at the end of his career. Like, I didn't see dominant 73, you know, 71 through 77, 78 career. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, I was a kid. I was six years old. You know? So, um, but he was great. Don't get me wrong. I respect what Kareem did. He was an amazing, incredible basketball player. But of the guys I saw when I was an adult, from an, being an adult, Michael's the best I've ever seen. And, and your most Period. memorable moment, I, I agree, MJ is my goat as well, David. Your most memorable moment covering basketball, and cover, whether it's writing or ESPN or TNT, your most memorable yeah. moment. Well, it would have to me, it would have to be the Dream Team, covering the Dream Team in 92. I mean, that was, um, it's hard to explain how big that was. <laughs> but it was, it was big. Uh, it was the first time that NBA players played in the Olympics. Um, the world viewed the NBA as the, by far, no question, number one league in the world with the best players in the world. Um, there were other, there were great players on other teams. Don't get me wrong. There were, a, in, in 92, there were a lot of really, really great players, Tony Kukoc and, and players like that, you know, who were on other teams that played at a high level. But, you know, the NBA, the dream team obviously had the best players and the best team. And so Magic and Bird and Jordan and Pippen and Barkley and Carl Malone and David Robinson and Stockton. I mean, it was just, it was insane. It was insane. And the reverence that everybody else held those players in was just remarkable. Uh, the other teams and the other players wanting pictures with the, with the U.S. players yeah. and wanting their autographs and stuff like that. You know, it was just it was a different time, but um, the, the the quality that they played with, as I have always often said, they weren't playing their opponents; they were playing the game of basketball. They were playing to see how good a basketball team could be, 
and it was remarkable watching them play and and the the their ability to kind of just play together and they didn't care who scored they just the ball just moved and it was just and just from a just being in Barcelona and being in Spain and watching that team was just it was incredible i can't i can't describe it's hard to describe how how memorable a feeling it was to be there at that time it was a special 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 summer for me well i tell you you've created a lot of special moments for a lot of nba fans in your current writing on the athletic and in your coverage on espn and tnt can't thank you enough for your generosity for joining us here on the final drive on wnsp 105.5 in mobile alabama and again a hall of fame nba hall of fame journalist how can people continue to follow all of your nba coverage and and just the athletic in general well theathletic.com is our website um it's a pay website um but you know as i tell people every time it's about five or six bucks a month so that's the cost of a latte at starbucks <laughs> you know yeah. So one pure latte a month, you get the, I think, the best sports coverage of any sports, you know, entity, media company on earth. I, I, I truly believe that. I don't think anybody covers as much as we do around the world, every sport, at every level, you know, the, from college through the pros, whether it's basketball or football or baseball or soccer, we cover it. WNBA, we cover it. You know, we cover everything. Um, and... You know, I'm proud to work for, for The Athletic. I think it's been a game changer. Um, and as someone who really loves words, I love people who write well and who, who, and who, are, in those love, who are in love with words the same way I am. So uh, that's where you can find me and find other people who cover uh, the NBA and cover sports, I think, better than anybody. David Aldridge, thank you so much for your time here on The Final Drive, and we look forward to talking to you again. My pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. NBA Hall of Famer, he's a journalist with The Athletic currently, and it's not every day you get a chance to talk to an NBA Hall of Fame journalist. A lot of topics going on in the NBA as the NBA drafts a week away. We'll be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm Bobby Humphrey, and when I'm in Mobile, I'm listening to WNSP FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with my producer, Michael Brauner, and we want to thank NBA Hall of Fame journalist David Aldridge for chiming in and giving his thoughts on the NBA, the NBA draft, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, a plethora of topics we were able to cover with him. And, of course, yesterday it was a historic U.S. Open, and I, I was amazed that you had multiple people shooting 62s. And, I, and you kind of – I posed that question yesterday. It happened on day one, but – you could almost guarantee, Bronner, it was not going to happen here in day number two at the U.S. Open. 
Uh, I I don't know the the guy the guys who did it yesterday haven't teed off today, so I, I wouldn't guarantee it. But no, it it won't happen today. Wyndham Clark had a really good day. I believe he's the uh, new leader in the clubhouse as he just finished. But again, the nice thing about California golf is these dudes like the Roms and. Uh, uh, who, who else? Uh, Fowler, Fowler as well, and Shoffley, uh, who didn't te who teed off early in the morning yesterday. You know they haven't even gotten started. They're about to get started now, so they're going to be going until like nine o'clock our time, uh, prime time golf. It's uh, it's kind of the best. Absolutely, late night golf for all those who want to have an opportunity on a Friday evening to sit and and watch. Uh, see see who's going to come away with another 62. Like I said, I, I just don't see it being done by multiple people. If it's done by one, okay, you, you're having another well of a day. But I really don't see it coming down to someone being able to have another great day. And I, I will say this. Dustin Johnson today? Yes. He, uh, he made a quad quadruple bogey on like the second hole and then battled back he's still six under <laughs> still six under <laughs> yeah because he made he, ma he made like four or five other birdies but uh yeah he made an eight on the second hole you think me or you could have made better than an eight on the second hole no i know i couldn't i don't know 18 i don't know i haven't gotten a look at the second hole directly but you know maybe if i played it really well i could make like a six I don't know, Dustin, that's like a meltdown, complete, let's, you know, that's what I've said, it's like, it's the coolest part about golf, is that, you know, try a million times, and you'll never throw a football like Patrick Mahomes, try a hundred times, you just might shoot a shot like a PGA Tour Pro, I was playing last night, after we got off the air, I went and played nine holes, and, uh, Birdied the third hole at Azalea City, you know, stuck a stuck a nine iron from 140 yards out and tapped in a three foot putt. You know, it's beautiful, man. One in a hundred times you can uh, you can have a shot like a PGA Tour Pro. It's the best part about golf. Without question, you know, there there'll be the leaders who finished up yesterday teeing off later on tonight, and like you said, we'll we'll find out exactly what will happen. And and I will I will say this: we know what's happening at the Elite 11, a, a lot of great things going on at the Elite 11 right now for future Alabama quarterback Julian Sayan. And in many services, he is, again, only 11 quarterbacks throughout the country. In that Elite 11, this is day two of competition. Him having an opportunity, he's already won the Pro Passing Award mm. in the camp. And I know out that doing Rayola. It, it, Rayola is dueling it out with saying. And Rayola is the Georgia quarterback, the class of 2024 Georgia commit who has come. But when you have saying and Rayola battling one another in a quarterback camp such as the Elite 11, it, it just goes to show you that future rivalry is, is going to be heated up. But they get to know each other on this circuit, whether it's here at the Elite 11, whether it's at the Under Armour games that they participate in, the other all-star games that they have, the Manning Passing Academy. They just have other opportunities. But Bama's we, – we've made so much speculation as to this year Alabama carrying five quarterbacks on the roster. Saying is coming to Tuscaloosa, whether it's early or not, and I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see as to whether or not saying 
I, th- I think Saiyan's chances to start way more so depend on what Alabama's quarterback situation is this season. Whether I, I don't think the talent is the question. It's like Bryce Young didn't start in 2020. And it's not because Bryce Young wasn't good enough. I, I think that 2020 Alabama team could have still gone undefeated and won the national championship with a freshman Bryce Young starting. It's hard to, you can't sit here and say the offense would have been any better. The offense was just about perfect with Mac Jones under center. So, uh, but yeah, Bryce Young didn't start because he wasn't good enough to start. Bryce Young just didn't start because he was a freshman and Mac Jones had put it in his dues and was ready to go and was obviously, you know, there was no issues with Mac Jones in 2020. Uh, that's not really the case this year. I mean, we'll see what happens. Maybe Ty Simpson takes over. Maybe Jalen Miller has developed. Maybe one of these guys steps up and, and establish themselves as a starter for, you know, ideally not just 2023, but 2024 as well. Uh, so I think that way more so depends on, you know, it's not like Saban's never gone to a freshman before. Obviously, Hertz gets in during the, during the first half of uh, that 2016 opener against USC. It's not like Saban would never go to a freshman uh, early on to start. If he's, the, if he's the best quarterback on the roster, he's the best quarterback on the roster. It is what it is. Uh, but obviously, it wouldn't be an ideal situation. It would, it would essentially mean that Alabama probably wasn't very good in 2023 and that whoever was the starting quarterback, or if it was multiple starting quarterbacks, didn't get the job done. So we'll see. Well, you know, Bryce Young and Tua Tungabailoa both made their hay at the Elite 11. And and the biggest thing is, and will say and win the most valuable player over Rayola. And it will conclude here this evening. So so I, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the continued battles of these two, and, and it's just good to – you're absolutely right. Nick Saban, he doesn't care whether you're a freshman or whether you're a seventh-year senior. Mm. He's going to put the best players on the field. And speaking of being on the field, uh-oh, Deion Sanders. Oh, not where I thought you were going with that. No, no. Deion Sanders we'll, – We'll get to that one later, we, I suppose. We, we, we will. We will. Deion Sanders has an opportunity here – you know, you you wish him the best medically because we know he did have his left big toe and his second toe amputated while he was the head coach at Jackson State. And now because of poor blood circulation, it, it does look like Deion Sanders possibly could have his left foot amputated. And here it is, you know, yesterday we were talking about nicknames, the greatest nicknames in college sports and really in sports in general. And primetime, having that name, when you say primetime, you know exactly who you're talking about. And Deion Sanders, one of the most elite athletes that I've ever seen play. Baseball, football, you can put him in the category of Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson was for power, right? Deion Sanders was definitely for speed. And Deion Sanders could play both sides of the football, offensively, defensively, special teams. Bo Jackson was the true running back. You weren't going to line Bo Jackson up at linebacker, too. Now, Bo Jackson, a phenomenal baseball player, just like Deion was. And Bo had blazing speed, but not Deion primetime speed. And, and to think that, Someone who was able to make money or make his name off of his nickname for his speed, for his flashiness, mm. to, to see Dion possibly having to have his foot amputated, 
it's a hard pill to swallow, not only for Dion, but for a lot of his fans. Yeah, so I I didn't really realize until this story came out that this has been an ongoing, like, lingering medical issue for I guess he, he's had, like, multiple toes amputated already. Uh, so you hate that. Uh you know, you, you you hope for the best for him. Obviously, you know, both you and I love to rag on Dion and uh, yeah. probably not rooting for him to win many football games at Colorado. But, you know, this is a serious medical situation and uh, you hope for the best. You know, you know, he's going to have a good attitude about it no matter what. It, it, uh, so. The positivity through Dion Sanders is always there. It's just it's hard to, to see some of your your childhood idols not continue to be at their greatest but if anybody can overcome this it will be Deion Sanders so we definitely wish primetime the best the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 Father's Day Friday edition is what we have here on the final drive want to say happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there who will be celebrating this weekend the final drive will be right back everybody, Jennifer Hale here from the NFL on Fox, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP in Mobile. Welcome back to The Final Drive. It's a Father's Day Friday edition of The Final Drive. Hope everyone's had a phenomenal weekend. Of course, as we wrap up our number one, here in hour number two, we'll be speaking with Brooks Austin to give us a Georgia Bulldogs perspective on what's going on with the Bulldogs here in the summertime. I know they've had a lot of big time recruits on campus. And of course, 430, we'll talk a little Florida Gators football. Andrew Spivey will keep us posted. And it, it all goes back to the scheduling that that was announced by the SEC earlier this week. And we were looking at it in depth about who got the short end of the stick as far as from a conference opponent standpoint. And I still say when you look at Florida's schedule next season in 2024, of course you have Georgia on the road, Tennessee on the road, Texas on the road, LSU at home doesn't get easier for the Florida Gators, and that's one of the reasons we want to have Spivey. And we mentioned the the mirror image uh, that's totally a different reflection of what you see in Georgia's 23 schedule versus what you'll see in their 24 schedule. Totally different there. And I think that for Georgia to have a three-peat, this year is definitely a great opportunity for them to be able to do it prior to the SEC not only going divisionless, but with their schedule and some of the opponents that they're going to be facing. Um, I, I say this again, Florida playing Miami, Central Florida, Florida State, all tough teams. And, and I like when you have those in-state battles and then you allow Sanford to come and make a little money also, but Florida having LSU, Georgia, Texas A&M, Tennessee, that's brutal. That really is brutal, Mike. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's not the best situation. As for Georgia, you know, 
Yeah, what did we say yesterday? Boo-hoo, poor Georgia. They, they're, uh, they're, they, uh, they certainly get the not the short end of the stick in 2023. So excited to talk to Brooks Austin about that. Remember his uh, his message when we asked him about that last time was, oh, well, the rest of the SEC should just play better then. I'm curious what he thinks about the 2024 schedule. Yeah, that, that's one where the rest of the SEC is going to be playing better and going to Texas, to Ole Miss, to Alabama, and having Tennessee at home. That's, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, as far as his take on what the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be encountering when they take on the Crimson Tide in 2024. That's a matchup that I know a lot of college football fans are really going to be excited. And depending on what happens here in 23, I mean, you could go from a SEC championship game featuring the Georgia Bulldogs and the Alabama Crimson Tide to seeing them again play each other early in 2024 so i don't know if there'll be alabama georgia fatigue but I'll tell you what georgia's gonna be in the sec championship i, I think uh i'm comfortable saying that <laughs> alabama has got a, a little bit of work are. alabama's got a little work to do i mean we said this though it's like georgia could go 11 and 1 with one loss to tennessee and, and have tennessee ma- i don't think that's gonna happen but uh you know it'll be interesting we'll see Brooks Austin coming up next here on the final drive. We'll get his take on how bad the Bulldogs bite really is. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you on this Father's Day Friday edition of the final drive. And want to say happy Father's Day early to all the fathers out there who always locked in. And you can always reach us in the app here at WNSP, or you can call us at 251-694-1055. And our next guest, Brooks Austin, is doing a wonderful job keeping everyone up to date on how things are going with the Elite 11 competitions, as well as being the lead editor for Dogs Daily Fan Nation. Brooks, how's it going, my friend? I'm doing good, gentlemen. We finally got a sunny and breezy 75-degree day out here in California. It's been like gray and muggy the first two days. It's actually Cali weather today, so it's been good, man. It's been a good time out here, man. Great competition going on at the Elite 11. Of course, Alabama fans here have been told that the next big thing is coming to campus in 2024, Julian saying, but the Bulldogs, they have a pretty decent 
recruit there that's participating as well in the nation's number one quarterback for the class of 2024. Let everybody know how Rayola's doing. Yeah, Rayola's look great. I think him and Saiyan are, I mean, they're about to announce the winner right now uh, here in a minute, but I think the competition is going to come down here in a second to Saiyan and Raiola. I, I think Raiola had the better day today and Saiyan had the better day the previous two days. Uh, but, man, they were neck and neck all week uh, for different reasons. I think Julian's saying if you could combine, like, the arm delivery and arm style and, and fluidity of how the ball comes out of Bryce Young with the physical makeup and the, the intangible traits of Mac Jones, I think that's the type of football player you're getting in Julian saying. Where on the other end, I mean, Dylan Rayola is a traits monster. I mean, when it comes to, like, Hey, is he 6'3"? Yep. Is he 225? Yep. Can he throw every ball on the field better than everybody else? Yep. Um, it's the matter of does he do all the little things that Saiyan does right now? Um, not quite, but, man, God, is he gifted, dude. It, it, it's insane to watch a guy throw a football like this so naturally and then to find out he's only been playing quarterback since the ninth grade. So we're three years into this Dylan Raiola experiment. And, uh, man, he, he, he's a gifted thrower of the football. There's no doubt about that. Brooks, last time we spoke, uh, we, we spent a lot of time talking about Georgia's 2023 schedule. Obviously, the news of the week has been the 2024 schedules coming out. Your initial reaction to Georgia's 2024 schedule? Man, that boy Nick Saban gets everything he wants, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I think it's uh, it's about it, it's one of those things where Georgia doesn't really care. I mean, Kirby's he he doesn't he's not joking when he says that. Like we'll play anybody anywhere. I think if there's one football program in America that's actually stood true by that. It's the University of Georgia. I, people give their 2023 slate a little crap, but I think I even mentioned it last time. They would be playing Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Ole Miss this season, and everybody would look at that schedule and say, dang, Georgia's got a pretty tough one, um, especially considering they're going to Norman. Well, they don't have that, that game on the schedule this year, so they're playing Ball State at home, and it looks like the only game that's going to be close is Tennessee, right? They'll, they'll be a 10-point favorite against Tennessee. They'll be a three-score favorite against everybody else. Um, but they don't really, really care, and here's why they don't care, right? They, they move, we moved to 12 teams next year, guys. We would be 12 teams, and Georgia could lose two of those three games that are massive football games next year, right? At Texas, at Alabama. Uh, they got to play Tennessee. They got Florida on the schedule as well. They got an onslaught next year, and they could go 9 and 3 and still be the 10th team in the country and get to play a first round playoff game. So it matters, but it don't matter. And I, I think that's the shame of the college football playoff expansion, but that's a whole new rant. It really is, and when you look at the playoff expansion and the transfer portal as well as NIL, all of it has changed not only high school recruiting, but once you get on the campus as a college or a collegiate athlete as well. The, the recruiting that Kirby has put in, I think that that has led to the success and the depth that they, and the back-to-back na -back national championships that they've been able to have. Because I said it, the thing that makes Nick Saban the GOAT is the fact that once you get on campus, he's producing you. You just don't come in a four- or five-star yeah. athlete and just sit there and don't get any better. I think that you find that production, and that's the same blueprint that Kirby Smart has had. There's been production. Guys that have sit and waited their turn, don't care who's up. When their name is called, they're ready to go. Yeah, if you don't get better, you get gone, right? I mean, yeah. that's kind of the, the situation at both of those programs. 
I think, you know, there's a lot to be made about how well Kirby Smart recruits and all that good stuff. But if you were to check the blue chip ratio, which is a ratio of four and five-star athletes on one particular roster at one time, it's a percentage rank of how many blue chip prospects they have. Right now, I think Alabama holds the lead in college football at 90%. Ohio State is at 85%, and Georgia's all the way down at number three at about 70%. So there's a lot of people that think they're all four and five stars, and they are. They have a lot of four and five stars in that roster. But what has made Kirby Smart a two-time defending national champion is the walk-on quarterback that he actually allowed to win out the job, right? It is Ladd McConkey, a three-star recruit, that ends up becoming his starting Z receiver, right? It is Solomon McKinley, who started four years despite being a three-year uh you know, a three-star recruit. It is Dan Jackson coming into a, a college football playoff game and a national title game and helping them get over the hump against Alabama as a former walk-on. It's all of those development of stories, right? Jordan Davis, former three-star offensive lineman. He was recruited at North Carolina to play offensive guard. Trey Scott brought him in to play nose tackle, and he's a first-round draft pick four years later. Like, everyone wants to talk about the Dylan Riolas of the world and signing the five stars, right, and doing all that stuff, but it really is all the other things that led to two-time national titles, man. We're talking to Brooks Austin, lead editor for Dogs Daily, director of recruiting for Fan Nation for Georgia. Brooks, uh, how slim or not slim are the chances we could see Saiyan versus Rayola in Bryant-Denny Stadium in 2024? Ooh, 24. I would say slim, slim on Georgia's end. I, I don't know if Dylan Rayola walks in and starts day one because we don't know what that quarterback room is going to look like. I know he's the number one player in America, but he will be a true freshman walking into a room where Gunnar Stockton or Brock Vandergriff or whoever it is has had at least 24 to 30 months learning a system and learning an offense. So I've never been one. I mean, even when guys like Quinn Ewers come out or Bryce Young come out, I always want to say, like, oh, he'll be starting by September. But, dude, that's a big jump. It's a really, really big jump to go from high school football to starting in the SEC and being, you know, entrusted with a national title contending football team. So uh, I would say Julian Sands got a, a much higher chance of playing early on in his career than a guy like uh, Ray Ola, just for circumstances. One of the players here locally that is really going to wind up being one of the best recruited players in the class of 2025 is offensive lineman Micah Dubos. And he spoke how much he loves the Georgia Bulldogs. And when you ask him, he openly says, Georgia's one of my favorite or one of my top two or three schools that he's been to. And he's he's been consistently saying that since he's been a freshman. So it's something that Kirby Smart and those guys are doing to show, and it, it starts up front in the trenches with offensive linemen like a Micah Dubose. Have you had an opportunity to talk to Micah yet and about his love and, and infatuation with the Georgia program? So I don't necessarily dig on kids for interviews a ton if I haven't met them in person. Um, it's just kind of my philosophy, but I'll tell you what I know about Micah. Um, you flip on the tape of Micah DeBose, and most people would see the 6'7", 300-pound frame, and they'd see the long arms, and that all sticks out. But if you watch his tape, man, there is what we call in the, in the world of evaluation offensive linemen uh, a fight to finish. There is a willingness and a want to finish every single play. And, you know, I've been doing this for about four years now, following and, 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 and you know, following and recruiting really, really tightly. And there is one commonality between all Georgia football players that succeed, right? The ones that go to that program and end up coming out on top and for the better. And it's a common, it's a commonality in work ethic, man. If you're not a person that is willing to work and willing to go the extra mile, 
Um, all the cliche stuff that people think is cliche, but in reality, it's the key to success. Um, Micah has that in spades, which is probably why he resonated with a program like Georgia. I mean, it resonated with an offensive line coach like Stacey Searles. If you turn on tape of Georgia football and watch that offensive line play, there's no way you leave anything other than inspired by the way that they play through the echo of the whistle. Uh, and Micah DeBose checks those boxes. So it, 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 I don't need to ask him why it resonated with him. I can see it in his film that he is a worker and he is a, a man willing to sacrifice to become better. Georgia and to a lesser extent Alabama it seemed like Georgia was his other top choice but uh, both schools lose out on Joseph Phillips one of the top linebackers in the state ends up committing to Auburn your thoughts on that specifically and does it speak to something bigger that Hugh Freeze is building that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart are going to have to compete with <laughs> that bankroll turned back on <laughs> no I'm just kidding that's a joke it's an NIL joke in 2023 we can make those right yes um, yes not in all seriousness, Georgia thought they had that one wrapped up. Like I'm, I'm not positive, not 100% positive. They got a phone call that morning of, "Hey, I'm coming to Georgia," and then they got another phone call that evening of, "Hey, I'm actually going to Auburn." So that one happened pretty quickly. And to be honest with you, from Tuskegee down there, that is a football player that Auburn can't really afford to lose if they have a chance to to land on him. So. I think you saw that in the uh, resources, if you will, that they allocated towards that recruitment. Chauncey Bowens, I think, is another running back that has committed to the Georgia Bulldogs. I, I think, what kind of player is he going to be for Kirby Smart? Quadzilla, dude. That dude's quads are about 30 inches and around. They look like tree trunks. And then you turn on the tape and you see a guy who's running away from high school defenders in Florida which makes me as an evaluator immediately run to Google and figure out what his track times are. And then I find out this five foot 11, 220 pound high school running back is out here in South Florida running 10, eight, eight in the hundred meter. And that's that, like that's immediately green light at Georgia. If you are X height, X weight, and you run X fast you get greenlit. Not, 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 not you know, the, the film is the film, the film looks great, but when we know you're that big and you're that fast as an evaluator, we know that you can play in the SEC or we can coach you to play in the SEC. And that's exactly what Chauncey Bowens is, man. That's an that's SEC top-end running back based off of physical traits and measurables. Well, I tell you, Brooks, the measurables that you have given us today on the final drive are invaluable, and you're our most valuable player, regardless of whether <laughs> Sayan or Rayola win it from a Georgia Bulldog perspective and especially from a recruiting standpoint. So we thank you so much for taking time in L.A. to drop down to the other L.A., lower Alabama, and drop some knowledge on us. Thank you so much, Brooks. How can people follow yeah, all boy, your great coverage, man? Yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter at Brooks Austin BA, or this sounds really conceited. Just Google search me, Brooks Austin. I do a bunch of different stuff, a bunch of different places. If you're a person who likes YouTube videos, you can find me there. If you like to read articles, you can find me there. If you like funny tweets, you can find me there at Brooks Austin BA. We'll see y'all, boys. I got to get going. Appreciate you, Brooks. Brooks taking time out of the Elite 11 schedule today to join us. Again, great competition. 11 of the nation's best quarterbacks competing, and he's ripping and running trying to get to find out who's going to win the most valuable player there. The final drive will be right back.
I'm Laura Rutledge with ESPN. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Keep it right here for the best sports information in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with my producer, Michael Bronner, And, of course, live updates coming from the Elite 11 National Quarterback Competition to where you have two quarterbacks. One that is going to be a 24 Alabama commit. The other is a Georgia Bulldog 24 commit. Both of them battling one another for the most valuable player. And as Brooks Austin kept us up to date and had to run as soon as he got off the air with this Bronner, I, I think that the Alabama quarterback, the future Alabama quarterback, mm. Julian Sayan, is the most valuable player of the Elite 11. Just his first victory over Dylan Rayola. <laughs> I love it. I we'll love see it. if uh, – yeah, I, I only asked Brooks that question if uh, – if we could see say in versus Rayola in 20, I, I don't think that'll happen. That would mean they both start as true freshmen, but heck it'd be uh it'd be some story now, wouldn't it? Well, I think that the fact that you do have Julian say being named the elite 11, most valuable player. I mentioned the fact that Bryce young, when he was a high school quarterback coming out of California, made a lot of noise to a tongue of Iowa was another one of those quarterbacks who made a lot of noise at this elite 11 camp. Yeah, so two on MVP as well. Yeah. That that's what you love to see. The fact that the blueprint is there and not necessarily a lot of pressure because as a quarterback, you know, e either feast or famine. So you have to be able to handle all type of pressure, especially when you're playing starting quarterback at Alabama or Georgia for that matter. And I will say that the college world series has gotten underway here today. And you, you have some great matchups that have started. You, you have Oral Roberts and TCU that are getting things started. Oral Roberts has scored four runs in the top of the ninth inning. Oh. The top of the ninth inning to take a 6-5 to five lead over TCU. And it's the bottom of the ninth now. We'll see what TCU is, is going to be able to do with one out. But what a great way to start the College World Series with Oral Roberts leading TCU 6-5. to five. And, of course, later on today you will have this evening, you'll have Virginia and Florida getting started up that will be the second game and of course tomorrow we will get started with Stanford and Wake Forest and Tennessee and LSU but Bronner yesterday I, I sent you a tweet that I thought was pretty interesting when I read this and I wish that more of this occurred in sports especially with me being an official I officiate basketball and have seen my grandchildren play in different sports, and, and especially when you're in the parks and recreation, you, you see a lot of a lot of people going after you're, you're a grandpa? the umpires. I am a grandpa. I didn't I, I didn't know that about def, you. Definitely a grandpa. That's definitely. Th that's new information. Paw -paw. That's new information. I, I'm Paul Paul, without question. Paul Paul. Double, double happy Father's Day to you. Then. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And you have in New Jersey, Little League suspends the parents who yell at umpires 
and makes them get behind the plate themselves before they can return back to the park. What a rule <laughs> to where the parent who is belittling the umpire or the official, you make that parent get behind the plate and call balls and strikes so they can see what it feels like before you return to this little league in New Jersey. Now, wouldn't you think that that would solve a lot of the problems that because there's already an official shortage across the country. And because there's a shortage, I can tell you this. Officials aren't officiating for money because you have to have a love of the game, especially when you're in softball and baseball. You're out in the heat and the elements. You're in football. You're in all the elements. At least you can have a rain delay in baseball, right? I got to tell you, when I was umpiring as like a 14-year-old, I, I, I was in it for the money. Well, th th <laughs> that's a great reason to where you can make money, right? Yeah. And, and, and what are, where else are you going to make 30 or $40 a game? I told you, I wasn't I wasn't cut out for it, though, that mo well, mostly tough. because of the parents. It's tough because parents can ultimately be brutal, but New Jersey, they have the Little League suspending the parents who yell at the umpires, and until they do the job themselves, they don't have to return. And I think that, again, it, it teaches those values to respect the officials. And you, you're going to get yelled at regardless, but when it comes in, we've seen some bad calls because I know I've missed calls. I've made bad calls as an official. I'll be the first to admit it. And that's part of, to me, what makes you a great official, being able to admit when you do make mistakes, being able to have the open lines of communication and talk. But when parents just sit there and cuss you out left and right and you see some of these brawls that parents get involved in with the umpires, you have to ask yourself, is it really worth it? I know right now, yesterday, the Alabama High School Athletic Association started in Hoover, Alabama with the basketball officials camp, and it's going on today. It will go on tomorrow, and you have teams throughout the entire state of Alabama who are competing in it, but more importantly is you have officials who are working on their craft or working on training and are trying to become better. And when you have parents that sit and cuss you out or threaten to jump on you or do bodily harm to you because you're calling balls and strikes for six and seven-year-olds, it's just not worth it. It's Little League baseball. Allow kids to have fun. And you see coaches jump on one another just kids are going to emulate what they see and what they hear and it's all about being and having a teachable moment and new jersey has got it right little league suspending parents who yell at the umpires until they do the umpiring duties themselves common new jersey w man yeah <laughs> just a uh you know wanted to yeah you know, i'm not gonna sit here and defend new jersey but uh yeah no i i uh big fan of that rule i think uh you know it solves two issues <laughs> but one the uh parents yelling to the official shortage so that's cool stuff yeah it, it, and it's it's one of those things as an official i know i personally don't do it for the money because when you look at being able to still be a part of the game 
I think that that's what's important. And somebody in the app said slow pitch softball is the worst. Bunch of crybaby adults. It's sad when adults can take away the love. It's like you would think they were playing for money or a national championship. The fun is not when you hear parents cussing out the officials. In any sport, and and of course, if you're human, even robots are going to make artificial intelligence is going to make mistakes, right? So the Major League Baseball trying to figure out where they want to go with robo refs, okay? Having artificial intelligence call balls and strikes. To me, that takes away the human element. And yes, again, we're going to miss calls, but at the same time, I don't know anyone who wants to compromise their integrity for a ball or a strike or to have a vendetta against a child and how that benefits our children to hear parents sit and cuss and fuss and throw blows at the officials for calling a foul, for calling a ball, for calling a strike, for calling somebody out of bounds. That's tough. And I just love this New Jersey rule. New Jersey Little League is getting it right. And I wish a lot of associations would do that to where you call out the parent, you make them come down there and do the job. If they can't do the job, then they need to not be participating or playing because you're teaching children the wrong thing. The final drive will be right back. Andrew Spivey will be joining us to talk about who I personally feel has the toughest schedule in the SEC next season. The final drive. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Blake Stein, former Spring Hill Badger and Kansas City Royal, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive. It's a Friday edition of Father's Day Friday edition as we want to get started early wishing all the fathers out there a wonderful weekend and wanted to bring in a recruiting football analyst from GatorCountry.com. Andrew Spivey joins us. Andrew, thanks for joining us here on the final drive. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Well, the Florida Gators, I said it moments ago, when their schedule was revealed here in the SEC for 2024, Miami, Central Florida, Florida State, Sanford, Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Georgia, at Tennessee, at Texas, at Mississippi State. Is that not the toughest schedule in the SEC in 2024? It's got to be pretty close. Uh, you know, I was reading uh, reading CBS as early uh, – predictions on it and they were they, they gave four to the third hardest schedule and uh, I don't even know that you can get ranked two more up there I mean I guess you know in, in my opinion Georgia's got a pretty tough one with going to Bama and going to Texas uh, that's going to be tough as well but 
Florida's definitely got their work cut out for them. And, you know, you, you look at it, and it could be a very, very important year for Billy Napier and his staff if this season goes kind of as expected and, and have a little bit of a down year. You know, you could be going into next year with a freshman quarterback and D.J. Lagway as your starting quarterback, and then look where you got to go. you got to go out to Texas and Austin where, you know, it's, it's a tough place to play. And uh, you have to go to LSU, and it, you have that hard schedule. Uh, Florida does get a little bit of a break with the road game being a neutral site game with Georgia. Uh, but it, it's a difficult, difficult schedule. I'm excited, though, for Austin. That's, that's going to be a big one. It really is. And I, I like the fact that Florida is, of course, playing Miami, of course, playing Florida State. Those two in-state schools, it, it just makes it a little bit more interesting. It's kind of like, okay, Alabama plays Auburn, but you're looking for that other school, in-state school, whether it's Alabama State or Sanford or UAB, but Florida not ducking and dodging away from anyone in the state, Central Florida included. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you when you look at it, Central Florida's, you know, been uh, been a little bit of a pest to some teams uh, the last few years. Miami, you know, seems to be getting a little bit better under Mario Cristobal. Not not a ton, but a little bit better. And they, you know, are always a uh, recruiting battle for Florida. And then Florida State's definitely on the up climb. It's a difficult schedule, and you you, you have those games with your SEC games. And you look at it and you, you say, wow, where's the break there? I mean, I guess Stanford uh, would, would be that, but it's still it's a difficult schedule to have to mind. And then you, you, you throw in having to go to a place like Austin. It, it's tough. And uh, obviously Florida will you know want to win that Miami game and that Florida State game and that UCF game because those are three rivalry games for recruiting. Uh, it just it, it makes for a long season, and, and you know that's kind of my argument when people say, "Oh, you need nine SEC games," and I'm sitting back thinking, "Well, Florida has eight, and then they have two pretty good in-state rivals on that schedule, and then UCF, who's also pretty good. That's eleven games that are pretty hard." Are you of the opinion, Andrew, that Florida got the hardest schedule of all the uh, of all the matchups that were released the other day? Uh yeah. I mean. It, yeah, I mean, they didn't get no favors done, that's for sure. Uh, you know, having Ole Miss is, is a difficult one. Lane Kiffin, you know, puts up points and is a is a problem. Uh, you know, you get Tennessee and LSU as well, and then, you know, you always have that Georgia game, and then, then Texas, it's, and then Texas A&M as well. I mean, it's a, that's a difficult schedule um, overall for Florida, and you kind of take away not, not their cupcake games, but their South Carolina and Vanderbilt games that are two games that, you know, every year you think, okay, Florida's either going to win that game or be very close in that. You know, now you look at that schedule, and I guess you could say, you know, maybe Mississippi State there. But uh, outside of that, where are your games you go into that game feeling like, okay, I can get a win here? Florida has a lot of confidence in their head football coach, Billy Napier. When they signed him, they broke, broke down a seven-year contract with him. And what you've started to see is is buyouts in the SEC by a lot of these schools, whether it's Coach Harson at Auburn, whether it was Ed O at LSU. You, you, you see that these schools do have the money in the SEC to buy coaches out. But I know that the Florida faithful really want Coach Napier to be successful. And what is, what is the patience window here in 2023? I know Utah was a thorn in his side a year ago, and they play Utah again. But the tolerance level 
for Coach Napier? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to, to say, really, because you, you have to remember that the, the roster he inherited was one of the, if not the worst outside of Vanderbilt rosters in the FCC for Dan Mullen. He had very, very little FCC-quality talent and depth, and, and, it, and it hurt. And you've seen it last year uh, in the games where Florida would be in some games and then depth would you know, kind of win out and Florida would, would fall late in the game. You've seen that in the South Carolina game. You've seen that in the Vanderbilt game. Uh, you've seen that in a couple games, even the Georgia game. Um, and so you look at now this so there's a lot of places that there's still those glaring holes of, okay, we don't have enough depth, uh, in particular on the defensive line. Uh, not a lot of depth there. You, you look at the linebacker spot, they had to go to the portal and get a couple guys because they just didn't have the depth there. And then you go to the all-important quarterback position and you have the Jaden Rashada mess that's, you know, it's, uh, that's on Billy Napier because it was under him. Uh, Florida didn't sign a quarterback last year. They didn't really sign a quarterback the year before last. Uh, they signed a, a guy in Max Brown who was kind of thought to be a career backup kind of guy that was going to provide depth, um, and you weren't able to go out the portal and get one. So, you know, the patience level is there, but also I don't know what the patience level will be if the season goes kind of what a lot of people are expecting this year, and that's six and six, you know, seven and five, uh, you know, maybe even five and seven. And what's going to happen after that? How are fans going to react? And, you know, how are, is everyone going to react? Obviously, I don't believe he'll be fired after this year by any means whatsoever, uh, but I believe the seat will get hotter come 2024. Yeah, based on expectations, I would agree with you that I, I would see it very difficult. I would be uh, think it's very difficult to foresee a situation where Napier is fired after this season. But what do you think it would take for the seat to be, you know, let's say scorching hot headed into next year? And on the flip side, what do you think it would take for him to be completely comfortable headed into next year? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I don't know that there's anything on the field that's going to really get him, you know, the, the pressure to get any hotter than it will be with the record because I think at going in, everybody knows quarterback play is going to be highly questionable. Graham Mertz is your guy, and, you know, you don't expect a ton out of him there. Um, obviously, the defense does need to get better under Austin Armstrong after losing Patrick Tony and, and bringing him in. You want to see improvement on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so, I, you know, if the defensive side of the ball is absolutely a train wreck again like it was last year, you know, obviously that'll get there. I would say the biggest thing that can get him into a lot of trouble is if this recruiting class goes really bad. Right now, they're, they're doing well. They have D.J. Lackway, who's one of the top five quarterbacks in the country in 2024, committed. Uh, you know, if something was to happen and he was to flip, and this recruiting class, you know, just go down the drain and not a good recruiting class, then I think the seat gets scorching hot, and there's a lot of questions asked, including, uh, is he the right guy? I know that we're speaking with Andrew Spivey, recruiting football analyst for GatorCountry.com, and official visitors coming on to campus across the SEC. We know that this is the season where you have a lot of football camps, but also bringing in those official visitors and unofficial visitors also. Who are some big-time names that we can look out for the Florida Gators to be bringing to campus? Yeah, I mean, they've had they had uh, 17 the first weekend. 
uh, 15 last weekend, and they got 13 that are currently on campus now. Uh, as you know, June has really turned into the big official visit. You know, weeks that instead of it being in December, and uh, you know, this weekend they have a couple of their big commits in, and including their running back commit. Uh, Caden uh, Daniels out of Mississippi, but one of the bigger ones that's in is Jamari Walner um, out of Mississippi as well. Defensive end is on campus. Uh, they have uh, one of their top tight ends in Amir Jackson on campus this weekend. Um, several other guys, including an offensive lineman in Fletcher uh, Westfall out of Virginia as well. He's on campus. Um, so it's a, a lot of bigger names that are on campus and a lot of things that are you know really starting to go forward as way uh, in recruiting. It kind of goes back to what I said a minute ago, having DJ Lagway is big. Uh, they, they've got to close on it. They were able to uh, close on a couple guys this week. Mike Williams is a big guy that they got committed out of uh, Maryland this week. They uh, picked up an offensive lineman out of Germany as well this week. So they were able to get it, but then they lost in their their top tight end, Walter Matthews. You want to see them finish, and they've, they've been able to get the guys on campus. Uh, Billy Napier thinks if they get them on campus, he has a shot, and they've gotten them on campus. Now they got to kind of close the deal and then have some good results on the field. Billy Napier going to get it done for the Florida Gators one way or the other. And if you had to look in predicting the over-under for the wins for the Florida Gators this season, w will it be is eight uh, too many wins as far as my expectations going into when, when I look at Florida's schedule? Because that means they, they've got a couple of W's against some high-quality opponents, SEC opponents, that is, on their 2023 schedule. Yeah, I mean, I would say my number has kind of been six or seven. Um, you know, I think eight is one of those that if a lot of things break, um, including, you know, Mertz getting that quarterback spot, then they could potentially get, you know, I mean, you know, it's not completely out of the realm. I mean, you think about it, last year they were, you know, very close with Georgia, very close with LSU. Uh, you know, I think it all starts with that Utah game. Going out to Utah, how does uh, Cam Rising, the quarterback from Utah, uh, bounce back from that torn ACL? Can they get an early W there? If they can get an early W there, then, you know, eight, is, is there. Uh, that uh, matchup against Tennessee is always a hot one. Uh, you know, you have uh, Joe Milton, who's going to be a quarterback. Florida's beating before. Uh, how does Milton do in the Heifel's offense? So there's a couple games that you can really look at and say, okay, if Florida was able to get this game, maybe they get to eight. If they don't, maybe they're six or seven. Andrew, always a privilege to catch up with you and to get your thoughts and your insights on what's going on down in Gainesville with the Florida Gators program. How can people follow you and all of your coverage of the Florida Gators? Yeah, absolutely. At GatorCountry.com and Andrew GC on Twitter and uh, Gator Country as well on Twitter. Thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again very soon and possibly seeing you at SEC Media Days if you're there in Nashville. But in between now and then, still a lot of business to be handled by Billy Napier and the Florida Gators, and people can tune in to GatorCountry.com and see all the great recruits and all the articles that are coming in by Andrew. Thank you so much, my friend. Absolutely, and we'll definitely see you in Nashville, man. You guys take care. Andrew Spivey joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. My name is David Palmer, and I'm on WNSP 105.5.
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And yesterday we were attempting to play some audio that you weren't able to hear. And, and it was pretty interesting audio because at the beginning of today's show, we had NBA Hall of Fame journalist David Aldridge on. And we mentioned how subdued Nikola Jokic was in winning the world championship but he was a total 180 of himself yesterday in the championship parade and and here's a couple of nuggets from the big fella himself thank you though uh you know that i i told that uh i don't want to stay on parade but he want to stay on parade this is the <laughs> This the, our whole lives, and uh, and when we see you guys that uh, came out on the streets, and uh, actually this one is for you. We love you, Denver. This one is for you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I, I he wasn't that emotional. He wasn't that loud. I know that there was a sea of humanity there, and 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 he had to turn it up a little bit. But just that's the most jovial I've ever seen the Joker. Period. Just cleaning up my. Uh my vomit on the other side of this glass from your <laughs> a couple of nuggets from the joke. Come on, man. It doesn't get any better than those segues. Nuggets. Come on, bro. It's a great segue. Yeah. There. And, yeah. And, you and, know. and, and you sometimes, also- <laughs> sometimes I'll give you props that, that, that one made me want to jump off a bridge. Well, here's another one for you. Coach Mike Malone. He was really enjoying himself in the championship. <laughs> you know, it's funny. He was very emotional, too, and, and I love the fact of how emotional he really was because you didn't see him. You had Murray in tears when they won the world championship, but Coach Malone, he got emotional when he was talking on yesterday as well. Think about this. <laughs> Jared Bednar, coach of the Avalanche, told me. That, I said, when did it hit you? He said, at the parade. And... Uh, it's hitting me right now. And two. And, and uh, for me, I'm sorry. Take your time. For me, to share it with our fans, that means the world to me. This is an amazing experience. Something that I believed in. I have no doubt that we get to this point. I have no doubt because of the people I work with every day. From, from Josh and Stan Kroenke to Calvin Booth in his front office, from my coaching staff, and most importantly, the 17 players in that locker room. So for me, just taking the time to reflect and own the moment. Life's about moments. It is. Life's about moments. And what we just accomplished, 47 years in the making. And I just am so happy, not for me, not for our players, but for our fans. We have people that have been supporting this team for 47 years. And to, to those fans for 47 years, I just want to say thank you for being patient. Thank you for believing in us, and thank you for enjoying this journey, this process, because we couldn't have done this without you. So, Nuggets Nation, I love you. 
Mike Malone being very emotional. And I, again, you didn't see that type of emotion out of him winning the world championship. He immediately went into dynasty mode. But here's one of the funniest moments to me. Aaron Gordon, who was a vital part of their continued playoff run, finding at what point in time he was hit by winning a world championship. Is it hitting you that you're an NBA champion yet, or you still need time? <laughs> you want to know what's hitting me is those Modellos. <laughs> <laughs> the Modellos were hitting Aaron Gordon pretty hard on that's yesterday. A that's a good line. At, at least he was honest about it. You know, when you're having a championship parade, of course, you have the champagne and everything Modellos. that's consumed. But, but he was honest. He said the Modellos were hitting him harder the fact than the, the fact that he was drinking a world Modellos. champion. Yeah, that's that's exactly was his drink of choice there to, to turn it up. And I, I think that, again, a, as a whole, you wait 47 years to win a world championship. You, you want to see them really, really enjoy it. And, of course, all the inside footage that you get a chance to see. You saw Murray and, and the Joker push each other into the hot tub back in the Nuggets locker room after they won the world championship. You see him being joking like that. But when the Joker got up in front of that mic and when all he was talking about earlier on Monday night was going back to Serbia and being with his horses and not wanting to be part of the Denver Nuggets parade, you had to absolutely love the fact that he really enjoyed himself. His teammates enjoyed themselves. You, you, you saw a WWE title belt that was worn by Christian Brauner. I, I love, I love Braun. Excuse me, uh, Braun. You, you love that. Michael I wouldn't have Brauner. corrected you if it wasn't Brauner. <laughs> well, there you go. See, I'm, I'm looking at you saying Brauner and it's Christian Braun who, who put on that WWE title belt. It's just a lot of fun in the celebrating of a first world championship. And you love to see the emotions come out, not only by the head coach, but by the players as well. And the NBA closes that chapter and moves on to the 2023 NBA draft, which is next Thursday. And, Will it be Brandon Miller at two? Will it be Scoot at two? It's something that we'll continue to talk about the entire next week and, and find out the draft order. Will there be trades coming up to the draft? We'll find that out too. The five o'clock hour of the final drive coming up. Bart Sessions, the head football coach of the Alma Bryant Hurricanes, scheduled to join us next. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. 
our number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this evening. We want to thank everyone for having us locked and loaded and tuned in. Of course, you can correspond with us on our WNSP app. Or you can give us a call here at 251-694-1055. And with us this evening, first and foremost, want to say happy Father's Day to our next guest, Bart Sessions, the head football coach of the Alma Bryant Hurricanes, joining us. Coach, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Corey. How are you today? Coach, I'm absolutely blessed by the best, and it's always great to catch up with you. You know, there's there's really never an off-season as a head football coach. The students may not be walking the halls, but your student-athletes are always busy, whether it's seven-on-seven, seven, whether it's coming up to the weight room and working out, just trying to find a way to get better in 7A region football or your hurricanes and We'll kind of backtrack a little bit for you this spring. Tell everybody kind of what you guys did with your spring and whether you had an opponent or whether you're going to use that extra week to start early. Yeah, we um, we actually kind of chose to just go with the the skill development model. Um, so we will we will be taking advantage of the the one week uh, early in the fall. Um, you know. It, Kind of a kind of a new rule a couple of years ago that came in, and with all the the kids and and coaches uh, being pulled in so many directions in the spring, we we thought we'd give it a try. Man, I tell you, so far we've been been very pleased with how it's kind of worked out. Well, coach, it's always good to get started early on a season, especially. And this is my personal opinion about when you have a spring game. Sometimes you can have a spring game and you have departures after that spring game or injuries. So by starting that week early and having not having a spring game, to me it's kind of beneficial because you do get an extra week with the guys that you know are going to be on campus and the players that are right in front of you. Yeah, you know, when when you we just kind of broke it down and and looked at it logically, you know, and if you if you do not take the early week in the fall, then essentially you have 13 practices prior to your first game. Um, you know, three of those practices are in it's controlled and in, into how much equipment you can wear. You know, day one you have to be in a helmet. Day two and three, of course, you can wear shoulder pads, but cannot go full full equipment. So you you start looking at it. I mean, that that's essentially the potential for only ten full padded practices before you play a game. Um, you know, and, and we really just thought that if we took that extra week, added those five practices in there, that it made a big difference, uh, or or hopefully will make a big difference in our early season preparation. Coach, talk to us about uh, some of your goals for the season as we head towards another tough season in 7A. You know, I, there's there's always one goal. Um, any program that, that we're at, you know, I don't think I've ever coached in a game that I didn't anticipate us winning, and that's how we're going to prepare. I don't say that arrogantly. I would assume that every coach that we're coaching against thinks the exact same way. Um 
you know, you you play the game to to try to win the game. So so we're going to prepare, and, and just like everyone else in the state of Alabama, our goal is to to hold that blue map up at the end of the, at the end of the season. Um, you know, we all know that that for, unfortunately there's only seven teams that'll that'll reach that goal, but but I think if you're not uh, setting that as one of your goals is is to uh, you know to to beat all of your opponents, then you're shortchanging your kids. Coach, if I'm not mistaken, time just goes by so fast. This will be year number three for you as head coach at Alma Bryant, and I know it all goes by so quickly and so fast. But those young players, I know with the MCPSS television network coming in with the crew that you had in year one, it, it was a young crew. You had a lot of rising seventh and eighth graders and you had a a lot of ninth graders that were playing varsity snaps and I know those rising ninth graders are now juniors and you've had guys that are now seniors who have had an opportunity to play under you for a couple of years the difference that that makes entering year number three yeah you know you you kind of hit the nail on the head I mean this will be our first graduating class where we have double-digit seniors. You know, you, you think about that in 7A football. You know, the vast majority of teams you're playing will have 30, somewhere between 30 and 40 seniors on their roster. We have not had a class that had double-digit seniors. So, you know, we'll be up in the mid-20s this year with our senior class. Uh, most of those kids have have at least one year of, of if not starting, heavy experience. Um you know, in our junior class, class behind them, um, you know, those kids, a lot of them had to play as freshmen, and that's a recipe for disaster when you're playing at 7A Region 1 to to be playing a 14-year-old. And, you know, he's got to go out there and try to beat a 19-year-old. That, that's that's tough. So, uh, so those kids have definitely taken their lumps. They've worked really hard in the weight room, uh, worked really hard on their speed. Um, it's amazing just to see, you know, we, we told them when we first got there, we took some kind of before pictures on an iPad, and, and I had one of them come up to me yesterday and say, Coach, when are we going to whip them before pictures out and just see how much our, our senior class has changed? And we are going to do that heading into the season, but it's it's incredible just to see the way some of them have changed their, their bodies and packed on muscle and, and how much better they're weight room numbers are and their speed times and so so it's an exciting year at Alma Bryant and and uh you know three years I mean it's taken us it's taken us three years to get the pieces put together uh, in our staff you know I mean it's it's um I'm trying to say figure out how to say this uh diplomatically but but as you know Corey you cover this all the time there's a there's a easy way to build a program and that's usually kind of robbing the people around you and then there's the right way to build a program, and that's going in there and working on player development. And and uh, that's a little bit slower process uh, than the way some programs are built around the state. We're speaking of Bart Sessions. He's the head coach over at Alma Bryant. Coach, talk, uh, I know you all had a bunch of facility upgrades. Talk to us a little bit about that and just how exciting that is for your players. Yeah, you know, we've, we've added, uh, we've completely revamped the field house uh, since we've been there. And, and uh, you know, a big part of that credit goes to Mr. Sprinkle, who's who's very proactive in working with us on that and, and helping us. Uh, of course, the community's been huge. I mean, they've pitched in and helped. And, 
you know, just simple things from a coat of paint here and there to to the addition of, you know, we just put in seven more racks in our weight weight room, created a, a separate weight room essentially so that multiple sports can be lifting at the same time. We've added four film rooms with stadium seating, two of them seat around 75, and then two smaller ones that seat around 20. You know, and, that, and that's created a situation where our, our practices flow so much more efficiently. You know, we can get from weight room to film room to practice field. You know, there are more coming. You know, we're, we're working on some upgrades within our stadium. Um, obviously, Mobile County Public Schools is helping us out a lot on that with the addition of the turf field. But, um, but we're also working on some school board things that will be hitting the you know, as soon as it becomes official, that'll be hitting the public domain. So we're excited about where we're headed with facilities as well. Coach, it's been it's been a 180 change from my time in watching and covering the the Bryant Hurricanes because, like you mentioned, when when you took over the job and, and I watched you play Philip Rivers in that spring game at St. Michael in his first and when he entered as well to to where you guys are today it is a night and day difference even in the facilities that you just mentioned uh, and you take a lot of great pride in that and having seen other facilities across the state of Alabama like you said kind of the have and have nots and, and and a closed mouth doesn't get fed and I know one thing about that Bayou Labatry community they're hungry for some football and for some winning football and that's the culture that you've continued to change I wanted to get your thoughts on the rotating state semifinal games played uh, at, at other places besides the the high school campuses it's it's a thought and idea that has been thrown out there possibly to the central board you know it, it's been thought about to have it at a&m or jacksonville state troy south alabama and trying to find somewhere to go out west but you, you you've been there you you've played for a state championship is it better to have it on the high school stadiums or, or to at a bigger venue to prepare you for the super seven you know i that's a difficult question to ask. You know, I know they to answer. I know they do that in in Georgia. Of course, they play the semifinals at a, at a neutral site, and um, and there are so many worthy sites around our state. You know, when you look at Hancock Whitney, you you look at uh, you know, as you said, Troy and Jacksonville State. I mean, there's some great venues, um, but there's also something to be said for. You know, going to to a to a T. R. Miller in Bruton, Alabama, and and seeing the entire town show up and pack out those stadiums and kind of the history that we have within this state. You know, a, a semifinal at at uh, UMS Wright that I've been to before. You know, and you couldn't get another person in that stadium. I don't, I don't think we want to get too far away from that because you. You always think of it from the 7A, 6A level, but then you put a 2A school in, you know, Hancock-Whitney Stadium, well, it's going to look half empty, even if the entirety of both towns do show up. So I think there's there's something to be said of, you know, going to a, to a home school stadium and playing on those campuses. Yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting aspect, and I know that the, the, the game's always changing and evolving, and 
there there is a special place for the Super 7, whether it be in Birmingham or whether it is at Alabama or at Auburn. It, there's always great venues for the Super 7, and, and it's it's great when you can make it there. When, when I was looking at your 2023 schedule, on the 25th, the schedule I was looking at, are you guys still open on that week zero, or will you have – a jamboree or an opponent to play as you're starting a week early with practice? You know, we, we don't have anything official on that yet. Okay. Uh, there's a few things kind of kind of that we're working on to try to get an opponent. We'd actually like to play the week prior to that. Okay. So that's something that we're kind of working on. When you start that week early, you can play a week early in the jamboree. So, you know, I know there's some schools around that are already doing that and, and it's the potential that we would as well. Um, so, so we're still working through exactly who that's going to be. Um, just because, you know, there are so few schools that that right now are beginning on July 31st. So you yeah. kind of have to match up with one of those schools and, and work it out that way. Well, we look forward to seeing how the Hurricanes work things out here moving forward in the 2023 7A Region 1 schedule and non-region schedule as well. And the improvements, not only facilities-wise, but mentally and physically as well from your student-athletes and coach sessions. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you and, and to talk Hurricanes football and to talk in general with you. So thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. Happy Father's Day to you. You as well have a great weekend and thanks for jumping on the final drive coach all right thank you so much for having us and thank you guys for continuing to support high school athletics okay you got it bart sessions joining us this evening on the final drive we'll be right back this is cj mosley inside linebacker and you listen to the sports station wnsp 105.5 Welcome back to the final drive. And, of course, the College World Series going on starting this afternoon. And the Cinderella of the College World Series, Oral Roberts, defeats TCU 6-5 to five after scoring four runs at the top of the ninth inning. And, of course, a double elimination tournament. And TCU goes into the loser's bracket. But... Oh, Roberts finding a way to score four runs and are now 1-0 in the College World Series. Of course, later on this evening, you do have the Virginia Cavaliers taking on the Florida Gators. And, of course, Tamar Stanford and Wake Forest. And you have Tennessee and LSU battling one another in an SEC matchup. But a great way to start the College World Series today and also Michael one of the things that the NCAA has talked about doing away with is marijuana <laughs> being not an illegal substance you really threw a, you really threw a curveball at me there I didn't know that's where you were going with that yeah I, it's you know the NCAA uh, it's it's bylaws to where they test student athletes in championships events. They've done so since 1986. But ESPN just had a report that the NCAA is considering 
doing away with the marijuana issue because different states have different rules and regulations. And of course, every state does have different regulations, legal in Alabama, but legal in Colorado. So how can you differentiate and tell a student athlete, you know, what is a, a banned substance is and what is not? Now, would you consider marijuana as a performance-enhancing oh drug? Is marijuana a performance-enhancing <laughs> drug to you? No, it's a performance-dehancing drug. <laughs> well, that that's one of the reasons that I think the NCAA is really taking a look and saying, it's quite hey, literally the opposite of uh, a performance-enhancing drug. And, and I know it's different strokes for different folks in regards to, to what certain drugs do to you and for you. But if it is legal for consumption in certain states and then you turn around and you decide to use it as an athlete and then you test positive for it, but it is legal in your state, yeah. are, are you wrong as an athlete for putting what they are considering a harmful substance? Because some are, are, are saying, all right, medical marijuana use and you know student athletes whether it's anxiety or whether they have yep. certain sicknesses I, I think that the NCAA saying that we're going to look at marijuana only cannabis and and making it a substance to where you don't have to worry about testing positive for as an NCAA athlete yeah I'll be honest with you it's probably long overdue yeah, well, uh, if you look at, like, the NFL, what was it now? Been probably two years or so. They've kind of stopped testing for it, and kind of for the same reason that in some states it's legal and some states it's not, and the, the waters just get a little bit muddied in terms of, like, you know, if you're a player for the Denver Broncos, like, it seems kind of ridiculous that where legally it's the equivalent to having a beer like you it seems kind of crazy to tell a player they can't do that but yeah i mean there's i think a lot of science that backs that players in football specifically at least uh will use it for recovery or or, or whatever you know pain relief whatever the case may be um so yeah i i don't have really a strong opinion one way or the other on it uh but i think it would probably make sense to to have it be unified you know, across the board, given that it's legal some places, not legal others. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, because if you're uh, an athlete and you're using performance enhancing drugs, PEDs. Yeah, that that's one thing. And that's gain. what should be being tested for. You know, instead instead of to me, like you're 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 saying as well, you're in agreement with the fact that, you know, marijuana is not a performance-enhancing drug. Yeah. It, it's one of those that, again, it, I've seen it do different strokes for different folks, mm. right? Uh, it, it can give some people super strength. It can make <laughs> some people super <laughs> okay, crazy. Oh, can it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, trust me. Yeah, all, all you have to do is Google it to see the effects of cannabis on different people. And, and just the fact drugs in general have different effects on, on student-athletes. But the fact that you can go to Colorado, like I mentioned, and have marijuana legally and smoke it as a student athlete, they've already lowered the threshold. But I just don't think that that makes – if you test positive for marijuana, it, there should not be any repercussion as an athlete. And you, you mentioned professionally, the NFL, yeah. the NBA as well 
has changed its marijuana policy to where it's not one of those drugs to where you're in trouble. So I just think that with the fact that the NCAA is even getting into student athlete and PED testing, it's just a route that I think is probably kind of long overdue. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's not something that I don't think should be tied in with PED testing. I mean, it's two two very different things. Uh, no matter what your opinion is on on that issue specifically, it seems silly to equate the two things. So, I don't know. It's, well, it's well I, I would say this: in the fact when you see Olympians get in trouble for performance enhancing drugs, or you look at the fact that you've seen athletes suspended on NCAA teams for testing positive within the athletic program for marijuana. It is something that I think the NCAA is definitely revisiting. Mm-hmm. There's someone in the app that says it's a slippery slope. No, it's not. It's not a slippery slope. It's it's athletics and performance-enhancing drugs. It, you see it all the time, whether it's in Olympics. It's not a slippery slope. Either – you're going to ban it or you're not. One of the two in athletics. Either you're going to be a student athlete and know what substances you can put in your body or you're not going to know what substances you can put in your body. Yeah. And if the NCAA says you can't smoke marijuana, then guess what? Don't smoke marijuana if you want to be a student athlete in the NCAA. No slippery slope which, there. Which student athletes, you know, they they do. You know, they they, they do use marijuana. It's not Without you know, question. It's, it's not a big secret it, there. No, so. I mean, there, there's nothing there to, to sit there and hide from. And you know, for the person in the app says stick to sports. Well, you know what? I'm going to stick to my guns on this. And whether you like it or not, I'm talking about the fact that the NCAA is bringing up the fact that they're going to change the rules on medical marijuana or marijuana use. And performance-enhancing drugs are something that have caused eligibility. It's caused student-athletes the ability to play certain sports, and it's it's part of sports. So whether you like it or not, I, I just decided to talk about it because it's a valid subject. And <laughs> yeah, it's you, something you really did throw me a curveball on this one. Hey, hey, absolutely. And, and it's something that... It's one of those breaking stories to where it is something that does happen and will happen, and everyone's entitled to their own opinion on whether athletes using drugs or not. There's a reason that the NFL changed its policy. There's a reason that the NBA changed its policy. There's a valid reason. And it's not because people aren't using marijuana as professional athletes. Do I think they, whatever it does for you, it does for you. But the fact that the NBA used to ban it and the NFL used to ban it or fine you for using it, and now they've slacked off on their policy, what does that tell you about the use of it? That it is very prevalent in professional sports. And it's prevalent in collegiate sports as well. Whether I like it or not, I, that that's I don't care, whatever whatever you do is what you do. But the fact that as a student athlete in the NCAA, there are guidelines that you must reach and adhere to, as long as it's not an illegal substance, stay clean or stay dirty, whatever you choose to do. And I'll tell you what is clean is the U.S. Open. 
The U.S. Open <laughs> slate is is, is clean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it's a clean slate. What a segue! Yeah, absolutely, and and we'll go into how the U.S. Open looks, clean or not clean, weed or no weed, <laughs> in the U.S. Open. Grass is green at then, L.A. Then, Country come Club. Come on, say it again. What is it? Grass is green run? over at L.A. Country a- Club. A- absolutely, we'll talk about that green grass at the L.A. Country Club. Coming up next here on The Final Drive. Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5 and Michael, you were talking about the grass being greener in (laughs) California. And you take a look at the U.S. Open second round and the incredible round one of golf that was played in L.A. And and today it's kind of been a little bit different on that scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, no one's shooting a 62 today, uh, which we kind of expected. And you don't want like you don't want people to shoot. 62 uh, at the U.S. Open, but Ricky, <laughs> Ricky's come out. He's six holes in. He's he's like three under on the day. So you know, I say that now. He might, he, maybe he does come out and shoot a 62. Uh, he, he's playing pretty phenomenally right now. He's two shots up on the lead. He's 11 under. Uh, Wyndham Clark at nine under. Rory at eight under. He fi- they both finished with 67s today. Xander not doing much. He's uh he's eight under as well still, uh through six holes, five holes now as well. John Rahm started with an eagle today, but he's like three under. So I don't know. It's gonna it's probably gonna be a double digit winner. So we'll see. Rory with a 67. This is this is a guy that I know that when you were talking with John Rachetti on Monday, the fact that. When when would Rory come in and play great golf? And I, I think that shooting a 67 today not not too shabby for Mr. McElroy. Yeah, no, so you know the uh, hey Rory's been in it, man. He just hasn't been able to close. So Connor Ricchetti's prediction was Rory will be in it on Sunday, which is kind of just a very blanket take at this point because. He just is in it on Sunday at this point. He, he's, but he just hasn't been able to finish. He hasn't won a major in a decade at this point almost. So we'll see. I think he's going to be in it on Sunday. I agreed with John, but I also said he's going to like shoot even par worse on Sunday and uh, and continue to collapse. I'm no longer a, a Rory McIlroy fan, so you know I'll I'll revel in uh, a Rory McIlroy Sunday. And, you know now now it happens almost every week a uh, Sunday collapse for Rory. What, what about you guys? Bryson DeChambeau. I wouldn't call him my guy, but uh, you, you like the way he swings the club. Uh, well, you know he's uh, he's he's got quite a he's got quite a swing. He's he bombs it. Uh, he's he's kind of getting back to playing really good golf again. He's obviously one of the live guys. I think he's like five under or mm-hmm. something like that. He's playing pretty well. He's well, a U.S. Open champion, so we'll see what happens here as we approach the cut line in this weekend here on the leaderboard in the U.S. Open. And earlier today, we were blessed to have David Aldridge on the NBA Hall of Fame journalist. And he were If you he, missed that, by the way, it's uh, posted as a single podcast on WNSP now. You can go get it. And it really is worth a listen. David was great. So. It's not every day that you have a, a Hall of Famer on in any sport. 
especially any professional sport as far as even from a journalistic standpoint and, and all of the great basketball that he's seen. But Michael Jordan selling his majority share in the Hornets for $3 billion. Now, it, when he purchased the franchise as a majority owner in 2010, Bronner, purchasing it as a majority owner, what do you think MJ paid for the franchise as a majority? In 2010. Were they the Bobcats state? then? Yes. The majority state. And they were really, like, terrible. Like, they were a horrible franchise. 2010, $3 billion now. I'm going to guess, like, $900 million. 275. Oh, Jordan. 275 in 2010 for majority stakeholdership in this franchise. I remember the lockout year. They uh, where there was a shortened season. They won like seven games that season. They were they were they were like memeably terrible for a long time. What's sad is you you hate to say that it may have or might have tarnished. Michael Jordan's no. overall reputation, no. right? Because it, people say, do it's you believe that? Do, what he did on the court versus what he does off the court? No, I don't. Phil I don't Jackson think it, was a terrible executive. I mean, that probably tarnished his reputation more so than uh, you know. As, it's as not a, the, he's not the first though. Yeah, to, to be a former player and buy in or, or go into management. And, and absolutely fail. But, Phil but, was successful as a player, success beyond success, probably the greatest coach of all time, and then horrible as an executive. Jordan was obviously Jordan as a player, and that didn't get into coaching. And I, I don't know, like he was bad as an owner, but like yeah, Charlotte, I, like it, it could have been worse. Who would have been better? I, I don't know. But but the expectation of of the greatness of MJ, right? When you when you think of MJ, you're saying undefeated in the NBA. He wasn't finals. on the court. <laughs> like what but, do they but, want from him? I I think that when you start talking about him being able to take over, and that's one of the things David Aldridge talked about with Michael Jordan. You see him buying them for two seventy five and having a majority stake, and then selling them for three billion. So. You know, he, he's still a mastermind businessman. Yeah, made a great business move. Absolutely. Still a, a mastermind businessman. You would have loved to have seen the Bobcats slash Hornets do a lot better than they did under his ownership and his leadership. Uh, but it, it, it didn't happen that way. And, you know, John Morant, Good. speaking of leadership, lack thereof or decision-making, it's official gets 25 games because of his conduct detrimental to the league 25 games i really thought it would probably be close to close to 40 and and the reason being just because it was the second slap in the commissioner's face because anytime you sit face to face with your boss and say no i'm not going to do that anymore i'm going to carry myself in a different light and then you don't do that I thought that Adam Silver really could have given him more. Now the players association not happy with it. They they they're not condoning and they're appealing the number of games that he was suspended. But for his first gun incident, he received eight. This one he receives twenty five. Does he get a third opportunity to make any mistakes at all to damage the logo? 
what like if he's caught on an IG live with a gun like no the, I, I think if like, he's caught with another weapon he's going to be looking at an entire season for yeah. sure I, I think you know you're looking at the amount of money that he's losing right how much do you think he's getting paid per game per game I don't John know Morant. I don't think I don't think contracts are broken down that way are they absolutely they are if you if you're if you're making an X well, it's amount a salary of dollars, but okay. yes I mean I you are certainly losing money by three hundred thousand dollars a game wow. so in this 25 game suspension he's losing 7.5 million dollars do you think that that bothers him at all yeah, I think it yeah I think it bothers <laughs> I absolutely think, think it bother me now and I will say this do you, if you think that $7.5 million bothers John ja Morant, how about the fact that because he was not an NBA All-Star, mm. his Supermax contract that he was eligible for here cost him $39 million in future earnings. $39 million in future earnings because he was not named an NBA All-Star. Mm. All, all NBA team. Not good. All NBA team. All NBA team. He did not make that. All NBA team. Do you think I've seen both sides of this argument? So do you think that uh, twenty five was too little, too much? I, I really thought it was it was too little. I really did because mm. Charles Barkley. You you heard his infamous Nike commercial. You know we're guy, not rolling. Mind you, the the guy has not broken the law. Here here here's what the point is. No, he did not break a law. But the NBA, again, has standards and ethics, right? Conduct detrimental to the league. If he sat down in front of his boss and said, "I'm I, Commissioner, you don't have to worry about that again. Yeah. You don't have to worry about me doing that again. And then not even two months later, you do it again? That's conduct conduct detrimental to, to, to the French, to the league. Yeah. To the no, I, I, I really do uh – see both sides of this one frankly you know i don't have a super strong opinion one way or the other i think the players association has a case uh but i also yeah no i mean he did kind of sit down with the commissioner face to face and say this wasn't going to happen again and then it happened again like literally a month later i mean i told you this on on the day it came out i i had a buddy call me and say uh john morant was caught on a ig live with a gun I said, like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. That, that 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 happened like two months ago, and he said, no, like, it happened again. <laughs> I thought he was messing with me, uh, but that is what happened. So, yeah, uh, I get it. It is it is what it is. But also, the NBA regular season doesn't matter. So, uh, twenty five games is twenty five games, whatever. Well, someone in the app earlier stated that, look, he is going to be fresher. If Memphis is yeah. able to find a way to 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 start off, they'll be fine. Out of those twenty five games, <laughs> like, if, they'll if be fine. It's the NBA regular season. If you're let's say thirteen and twelve, or you're above five hundred in that first twenty five, then you put yourself in a in a great situation for John ja Morant returning healthy. So I think that that part is going to help him. Now the reason that he's having to sit is a whole different story. And I think that that's what is so intriguing here. And as we come back here on the last segment of the final drive, we'll touch a little bit on Deion Sanders and the health issues that Deion Sanders is having moving forward as well. We'll also touch on Derek Carr 
apologizing for not giving his best to the Raiders. And we'll, we'll see what day it is also here on the final drive, a Friday Father's Day edition on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Ladarius Owens, former Auburn football player and current CFL player. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And tomorrow is the Africatown Bridge Challenge 5K Run and Walk. Together, everyone can do this. Tomorrow, starting 7.30 a.m., at 645 Shelby Street in Mobile, Alabama, you're able to register on site. You're able to view the historic Africatown, Mobile River, Portamobile, the Tensaw River Delta from 350 feet up as you run or walk across the Africatown Bridge. And there will be a one-mile course that takes participants from Shelby Street to the foot of the bridge and back. And proceeds of the event will benefit the work of Africatown Community Development Corporation. So if you love 5Ks, if you love to run and walk, tomorrow morning, Africatown Bridge Challenge is the place to be. And, of course, we were touching briefly about the fact that Deion Sanders has already had his left big toe and second toe amputated while he was coaching at Jackson State and possibility of having his entire left foot amputated. So we wish Dion the best from a health standpoint, for sure, as he's starting to coach at Colorado. And of course, Derek Carr apologized for not giving his best to the Las Vegas Raiders last season. Bronner, do you want that type of quarterback leading the New Orleans Saints? If you know for a fact you came out and admitted you didn't give your best to a franchise that was expecting the best from you? Yeah, we kind of ran out of time on this one. Maybe we'll get into it more on Monday, but certainly a, certainly a wacky headline to read there. Absolutely, and we definitely will dive into that on Monday for sure. But, Bronner, today is Friday, but also it's a national day. What day is it, Mike? Listen, guess what today is? <laughs> What day is it? What day is it, Michael? Of course, National Fudge Day. Oh. You know, if you're trying to lose some pounds, it it tempts you with National Fudge Ah, Day. It's overrated. National Fudge Day. Now, if you don't like the fudge route. Man, I love fudge. You can definitely go. Today is National Fresh Veggies Day. Boo. Your mom told you to eat your vegetables. You, you know, you just want to make sure you listen to your mom. mom I like fruit. Best. I'll eat fruit. She wants you to eat those vegetables. I like man. eat. I I'll eat vegetables. I don't want to put myself out there as a guy who won't eat vegetables because I I will eat vegetables. I just I don't love vegetables. International Waterfall Day. The the best waterfall I've seen is at Nakalula Falls in Gaston, Alabama, when that water goes to raging. It is International Waterfall Day as well. So those are, are three pretty interesting days. Of course, Arborist Appreciation Day, support of all the professional arborists in the country today. You 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 ever you familiar with you know any arborist? Ah uh, I 
I don't think I know what that word means. <laughs> Trees, forest, all right, all right. Okay. Yeah, no, I knew that. I did know that. <laughs> well, well, that's definitely a few days that are going on. And, of course, this weekend, what we have is Father's Day to all those dads who always tune in here to WNSP 105.5. Bron, I know you probably want to wish your pops a, a happy Father's Day on the air. Yeah, man. I hope he's listening right now. Happy Father's Day. Dad, I will actually get the opportunity to see him this weekend. We got to swap cars. I got to make a drive up to North Carolina to swap cars with him. So looking forward to that. But if you're listening, Dad, happy Father's Day on the air. That's good stuff right there. And, of course, to all our other dads that, that always tune in here on WNSP, you give us a call, 251-694-1055, or hit us up in the app. We always appreciate all the support of all the fathers out there for Father's Day weekend and the big plans that that may be dampered by the weather. I know a lot of dads like to get out and, and really relax do some boating or, or possibly do some golf. There'll be a lot of dads on the Sit golf Sit and watch the U.S. Weekend. Open, man. It's nice when it lines up that way. Absolutely it lines up. And, of course, tonight what's going to line up is Virginia and Florida starting the second game of the College World Series. Oral Roberts defeated TCU, scoring four runs in the top of the ninth to win that first game. And tomorrow, Stanford and Wake Forest, LSU and Tennessee battle one another. And, We'll dig in to, to Monday's edition for sure about Derek Carr apologizing to the Las Vegas Raiders franchise because the New Orleans Saints moving forward, you don't want a quarterback that's going to quit on you halfway through the season. The final drive will never quit on you. Hope everyone has a fantastic weekend and enjoys this Father's Day for sure. Thank everyone for checking in this weekend. We'll be right back at it again on Monday.